Well, howdy, Hootie Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootie Thunkin' podcast back. I am a week late with this recording, but I had COVID. Uh, pretty good excuse, because I was... It knocked me on my ass. It was difficult. If I would have recorded this last Wednesday, it would have sounded pitiful and sad. So uh, hopefully this is a little bit better. This is episode 92, um, titled Grigori Rasputin. This week's episode won't have, uh, or it didn't originally have an audio version, but I did release the blog last week, so some of you may have read this. Now first, for the recommendation segment, I recommend you watch the 2004 Hellboy movie. Here's the plot. At the end of World War II, the Nazis attempt to open a portal to a paranormal dimension in order to defeat the Allies, but are only able to summon a baby demon who is rescued by Allied forces and dubbed Hellboy, played by Ron Perlman. Sixty years later, Hellboy serves as an agent in the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, where he aided where he, aided by Abe Sapien, uh, played by Doug Jones, a merman with psychic powers, and Liz Sherman. Uh, played by Selma Blair, a woman with uh, pyrokinesis, protects America against dark forces. It's pretty cool. Um, It is based on the comics written by Mike Magnola and published by Dark Horse Comics. It's directed by Guillermo del Toro and starring Ron Perlman as Hellboy. This movie kicks ass. It's dark, it's twisted, yet there's genuinely good humor throughout. Plus, all the side characters are fantastic as well. Like, a lot of characters who aren't main characters um, are really cool, Uh, especially like some of the evil henchmen. The performances were spectacular, and the head of photography on the set knew what he or she was doing. If you have already seen this gem of a movie, I suggest you go back and rewatch it. I loved it as a 12-year-old kid, and I loved it even more um, as a dude in his late 20s. Uh, It's really awesome. Check it out. And I think I tried to show it to Shannon, or maybe we haven't watched it yet, but we will. So check it out. I got a ton of pictures and even a nice wallpaper on the blog for you if you want to check that out. Now, for the main event, Gregory Rasputin. I thought about doing an episode on the Tilla Hun, aka the Scourge of God, uh, but was trampling through 5th century Europe until he set his sights on Rome and was unexpected. And the unexpected happened. He agreed to meet with legendary Pope Leo I. And after a relatively brief meeting, Attila and his army left without laying a finger on Rome. No idea what was said during that meeting, but it must have been respectable as hell um, because Attila just stopped going through Europe. Yeah, I thought about doing that episode, but then I saw the trailer for the King's Man um, movie coming out. Uh, set in World War One, I. I think it already has come out by now, and I decided I had to do an episode on Rasputin. Looks like one of the main characters in the movie King's Man. I guess it's now a prequel to the Kingsman. Um, what main character is Rasputin? And I've heard about him a little bit. I've read a few things, a couple blogs. He's a cool character, so I included him in or had to do an episode. The tale of Attila and the Pope can wait for another day. Put that away in my handy list of potential episodes because this episode um, is going to be about the bad guy from the first Hellboy movie. And I'm going to have a fun time fumbling through an onslaught of Ruski names in this episode. It's going to be bad pronunciations uh, galore, so check that out. Now, let's see. Rasputin was a Russian dude from the late 19th and 20th century. That's 1800s and 1900s. He was perhaps the toughest son of a bitch on the planet during a time when the world was full of tough sons of bitches. He slept with countless women, most of whom he definitely should not have been sleeping with, like royalty. He claimed to be the second coming of Christ and was basically a cult leader that was able to win the trust of one of the most powerful families on the globe. Uh, So he was quite influential. Born in January middle of winter in 1869 during the heart of winter in a place called 
Uh, here we go. Pav Pavskroyskoye. Uh, located in Russian Siberia in the middle of summer the hottest this place ever gets is like 70 degrees Fahrenheit and that is very rare that it gets that high in winter it is about 5 degrees Fahrenheit on average for like 3 months that's on average so meaning like a cold day is like negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit um, meaning a yearly average overall average is probably um, 32 degrees Fahrenheit 0 degrees Celsius <laughs> Legend says that when it gets to like 45 degrees Fahrenheit, um, all the local women go topless and start sunbathing in the street. That is just how cold this place usually is at 45 feels nice and warm. JK. But that actually did happen where I went to college in Slipper Rock. It would be so cold all winter long that when March or April, like the first day of a good spring day came around, even if it was like 50 degrees, there would be women in bikinis but uh, sunbathing out in the quad in like 40, 45, 50 degree weather. <laughs> It was quite amazing. To survive in a place like Pavskroyskoye, you have to be tough as nails. Now, I did know how to pronounce that when I first wrote this episode, but it's been like two weeks now, so <laughs> I've completely lost how to say it. Pavskroyskoye. Okay. Although he attended school, Grigory Rasputin remained illiterate, and his reputation for licentious earned him licentiousness earned him the surname Rasputin, Russian for debauched one. Uh, Licentiousness means lacking legal or moral restraints, especially disregarding sexual restraints. Licentious. Uh, behavior or licitious re revelers uh, marked by disregard for strict rules or correctness. So yeah, that, that describes Rasputin pretty well. Even at a very young age, Grigory Rasputin had his infamous gaze. If you see a picture of Rasputin, go ahead and Google it if you're listening. You will see that even after being dead for like a hundred years, this guy can still stare directly into your soul via a pixelated image. It's terrifying. It's one of the most terrifying gazes you'll ever see. He used this death stare, toughness gained from his upbringing, and natural knack for identifying people's weaknesses to get ahead in life, and it worked eventually. Uh, he got very far in life. He evidently underwent a religious conversion at the age of 18, and eventually he went to the monastery at Verkotje, uh, uh, where uh, that almost sound French, where he was introduced to the Grixki, or the flagellants sect. A flagellant is a person who subjects themselves to, or others, to flogging, either as religious discipline or for sexual gratification. So basically beating him with a whip or whatever. Uh, Rasputin prevented, or perverted, Rasputin perverted the Klisti uh, beliefs into the doctrine that one was nearest to God when feeling, quote, wholly passionless, pa passionlessness. And that the best way to reach such a state was through the sexual exhaustion that came after prolonged debauchery. <laughs> have lots of sex you'll be closer to god that's basically what he said this sounds a lot like drupka kunli from episode 22 of this podcast he was a 15th century yogi who brought enlightenment to women with his legendary phallus that the people called the thunderbolt of flaming wisdom in return he asked to be paid in booze i kid you not i that was a great episode i love learning about drupka kunli and rasputin kind of reminds me of him the whole you know be closer to god by having sex all the time and just getting drunk that sounds a lot like drupka kunli but in a Russian way. Russian version is, is Rasputin. But unlike Durbka Kunli, Rasputin did not become a monk. He returned to Pokskrovkoyi at age 19, where he grew up, and Praskovia uh, 
Fyodorovna Dubrovina, who later bore him four children. So he got married to that Broskoya Fyodorovna Dubrovina, who later bore him four children. Marriage did not settle Rasputin. He left home and wandered to Mount Athos in Greece and Jerusalem, living off the peasants' donations and gaining a reputation as a uh, steritz or self-proclaimed holy man with the ability to heal the sick and predict the future. Sounds like a cult leader to me, but then again, I never met the dude, so maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Maybe he was legit. But the pictures of him, oh my gosh. <laughs> It's the most terrifying Russian person I've ever seen. Uh, Rasputin's wanderings took him to St. Petersburg in 1903, where he was welcomed by Theophan, uh, inspector of the Religious Academy of St. Petersburg, and Hermogen, um, Bishop of Staratov. Ben Thompson, from my favorite history, one of my favorite history blogs, Badass of the Week, he writes how Rasputin came to St. Petersburg in 1903. When he entered the gates of St. Petersburg in 1903, Rasputin was an illiterate peasant nobody who had spent his entire life randomly wandering around the Russian countryside, uh, searching for God, one horny sex-crazed maiden at a time, or sometimes two or three at a time, depending on how energetic he was feeling. Carrying out a only a carrying only a Bible and a backpack and wearing little more than beat-up tar-covered boots and a cheap gray overcoat, uh, this impoverished, half-insane priest decided to settle down in the capital city of Imperial Russia and enter the country's most prominent monastery. It wasn't long before his powerful commanding personality and creepy, weird, magical powers asserted themselves among Rasputin's holy brothers. Even the... Even the fucking bishop of Imperial Russia was convinced that this crazy mysterious monk had the power to control the weather and call down thunderstorms at his whim. Rasputin grew in power and was introduced to a countess in the Imperial court and immediately started humping every hot aristocratic babe in sight. End quote. Uh, don't usually like to say the F word if I can help it, but it's a quote. I gotta say it. So that is how Rasputin sort of popped onto the scene instead of just a peasant boy traveling around europe and growing up in siberia he now is center stage in russia and russian politics and people started listening to him and apparently he was great in bed the court circles of saint petersburg at the time were entertaining themselves by delving into mysticism and the occult so rasputin a filthy unkept wanderer with brilliant eyes and allegedly extraordinary healing talents was warmly welcomed in 1905, Rasputin was introduced to the royal family, and in 1908, he was summoned to the palace of Nicholas and Alexandra during one of their, I can say those names, one of their hemophiliac son's bleeding episodes. Hemophilia, also spelled uh, hemophilia, is a hereditary bleeding disorder caused by a deficiency of substance necessary for blood clotting or coagulation. The increased tendency to bleed, to bleeding usually becomes noticeable early in life and may lead to severe anemia or even death. Large bruises of the skin and soft tissue are often seen usually following injury so trivial as to be unnoticed. There may also be bleeding in the mouth, nose, and gastrointestinal tract. After childhood, hemorrhages in the uh, or hemor hem hemorrhages uh, in the joints, notably the knees, ankles, and elbows, are frequently resulting in swelling and impaired function. So, uh, hemophilia sucks. You bleed a lot, and this little kid had it. It is believed that little Alexei Nikolaevich, uh, that's the kid with hemophilia, had it due to generations of inbreeding that was common among European royalty. Uh, but that's kind of speculation, kind of not, because, I mean, a lot of European royalties, royal 
the families did have a lot of inbreeding. Um, so it may would have caught Alexi's hemophilia, but either way, he had it. He was a poor kid. He didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, and he had this terrible illness. Rasputin succeeded in easing the boy's suffering, probably by his hypnotic powers, you know, um, almost like a he told the kid he felt better, so the kid felt better. Upon leaving the palace, warned the parents that the destiny of both the child and the dynasty, the royalty, were in irrevocably... Er, yeah, irrevocably uh, linked to him, and thereby setting in motion a decade of Rasputin's powerful influence on the imperial family and affairs of state. So he was showed up in Russia. He's already started making, you know, showing the occult to these, um, you know, high, higher people in church in Russia, and they were already trying to get into the occult. So he's already in with the church. Then one day he meets the royal family. Is like, I can cure your son somehow cures the son of this incurable hemophilia and now he's in with politics and the church which you know early 20th century like 1903 you have can you're you're pretty powerful in both the church and politics you're one of the most powerful mofos around in the presence of the royal family rasputin consistently maintained the posture of a humble and holy peasant outside the court however he soon fell into his former licentiousness habits um, preaching that physical contact with his own person had a purifying and healing effect. He acquired mistresses and attempted to seduce many other women. So basically saying like, touch my peen and you'll be, <laughs> you'll be a lot more divine. God will like you more if you have sex with me. When accounts of Rasputin's conduct reached the ears of Nicholas, the czar refused to believe that he was anything other than a holy man. And Rasputin's accusers found themselves transferred to remote regions of the empire or entirely removed from their positions of influence. So he's got the ear of one of the, of the most powerful people in the country, uh, both the church and the state. And so any, any, he's doing all this terrible sexual stuff you know basically like jeff jeffrey epstein type stuff and anytime somebody tries to accuse him all the powerful friends he has are like nope you're going to siberia you're going to live on out in the middle of nowhere on an iceberg so rasputin's just having a ball by 1911 rasputin's behavior had become a general scandal the prime minister pa uh stolipin sent the Tsar a report on Rasputin's misdeeds. A result, as a result, the Tsar expelled Rasputin, but Alexandra had him returned within a matter of months. Nicholas, anxious not to displease his wife or endanger his son, upon whom Rasputin had an obviously beneficial effect, chose to ignore further allegations of wrongdoing. His near limitless influence and access to the Empress, whenever he felt like it led to quite a bit of prestige for Rasputin, and when I say he had access to the Empress, I mean in more ways than one. He was probably banging the Empress that Rasputin was. That's what they think. Foppish courtiers hung on his every word. Desperate nymphomaniac babes flung themselves at him every time he stepped foot outside his house, and pretty much everybody wanted to invite him to all their totally sweet house parties. But Rasputin didn't morph into one of them he did his own thing and didn't cater to the pissy bullshit uh, prissy bullshit of the aristocracy he wore his regular old clothes talked to nobles the same way he spoke to peasants and generally did whatever the hell he wanted all the time and anybody who didn't like it made no difference to him so he was a sort of like a champion of the common people he had a voldemort effect in that people referred to him as the unmentionable or the nameless one they didn't say his name because he was that big of a deal with rumors circulating about rasputin sleeping with not only the empress but her daughters and every other woman in russia a, or every other woman in russia a certain body part of his began to get rumors of its own the local 
the local rumor is thought that he had a 13-inch schlong. That's right. Although there is a pickled penis about that size, um, that actually exists. Experts aren't experts. <laughs> aren't sure if it's Rasputin's. So there is this giant pickled penis um, that people are like, this is Rasputin's penis. They're not entirely sure it is his. When I say experts, you know... <laughs> How much of an expert can you be if your job is trying to determine which ancient figure's penis that is that's pickled in a jar? But anyway, um, <laughs> people thought he had a 13-inch long. Now, Rasputin reached the pinnacle of his power at the Russian court after 1915. During World War I, Nicholas II took personal command of his forces in September of 1915 and went to went to the troops on the front, leaving Alexandra in charge of Russia's internal affairs, while Rasputin served as her personal advisor. Yeah, personal advisor. Sort of like personal trainer. Rasputin's influence ranged from the appointment of the church officials to the selection of cabinet ministers, often incompetent opportunists, and he occasionally intervened in military matters to Russia's detriment. Though supporting no particular political group, Rasputin was a strong opponent of anyone opposing the autocracy of himself. Uh, so, although he didn't ascribe to this way or not, and but a lot of things he did politically did not help the country. He wasn't a good politician. Um, he was good at keeping his own power in, in check, so he was good at keeping himself in power. Several attempts were made to take the life of Rasputin and save Russia from further calamity. The many attempts on his life and the variety of attempted assassination techniques is one of Rasputin's biggest claims to fame. In 1914, he survived being stabbed in the stomach by a crazy woman. Um, there, Well, they say she was crazy. If... <laughs> Maybe she was doing the right thing, trying to stab Rasputin. He's an awful dude. There were many other attempts that uh, never made contact, but in 1916, his assassination, his assassins were successful. A group of extreme con, uh, conservatives, including Prince Felix uh, Yusupov, husband of the Tsar's niece, Vladimir Mitrofanovich, and Bereskevich, a member of the Duma, and Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, the Tsar's cousin, formed <laughs> Russian names, formed a conspiracy to eliminate Rasputin and save the monarchy from further scandal. On the night of December 29th and 30th, um, Rasputin was invited to visit uh, Yusupov's house, and according to legend, once there he was given poisoned wine and tea cakes. He ate the cyanide laced tea and cakes. And simply burped. No, seemed to have no effect. Don't know why, but that's what happened. When he did not die, the frantic Yusupov shot him in the back at point blank range. Rasputin collapsed, but was able to get up back on his feet and start strangling the prince who shot him. Then he was able to run out into the courtyard where uh, Brzezkevich shot him again three more times. Now he's shot four times and poisoned. The conspirators then clubbed and bound him and threw him through a, uh, through a hole in the ice into the Neva River where he finally died. When they found his body, evidence suggested he had freed himself and had begun to swim back uh, to the safety of the surface, but succumbed to hypothermia. So the tough son of a bitch that Rasputin wa even was, even he was no match for the cold of Russia's winters. So they poisoned him, shot him four times, clubbed him, beat him, strangled him. Uh, then he still wasn't dead, so they tied him up and threw him in the river. And it was the cold that killed him. Russian cold. The murderer the murder merely strengthened Alexandra's resolve to uphold the principle of autocracy, uh, but a few weeks later, the whole imperial regime was swept away by revolution. Oddly enough, while Rasputin's death was celebrated by the aristocracy, 
It pissed off the common people of Russia. They saw him as one of them, an oppressed peasant who had crawled his way to power only to be assassinated by the so-called elites of their society. Remember how he talked to peasants just how he talked to the elite people? So they loved him. They found out he was dead. Well, uh, the Bolsheviks arrived, and the world was introduced to the nice little thing called communism. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, did Rasputin cause the Bolshevik, or the Russian Revolution? Maybe, maybe not. And on that note, I'll end it, um, and I'll let the Red Army Choir take this one away. Sing loud and sing proud, you commie bastards. <laughs>